Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Why are we shocked that things are the way they are in the nation that we live in? If the very people of God could come to a place where they had no love, no acknowledgement, no desire to follow God, then why would we think that it would be any different with us? I mean, it's just, it's human nature to turn against the Lord. It's human nature to pursue our own will and to shun the will of God. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Hosea chapters 1 through 7. Now here's Pastor Brian. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. So again, the nation has been divided since the time of just after Solomon. And it's still yet in the future when the nation comes back together under the Lord. So now the second chapter, the second chapter is dealing more with the judgments that are going to come upon the nation. So Israel, the punishment and the restoration. So say to your brothers, my people and your sisters, my loved one. So you're not loved, say you're loved. You're not my people, say you're my people. Now, he goes on in verse two and he says, rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. And so as we go down through this, this is the Lord using the analogy of the husband and wife and speaking about the nation and why it is that he's setting setting them aside or why it is that he's rejecting them or why it is that they're no longer loved because of their, uh, as we've said, their, their continual adultery. So God sees this unfaithfulness on the part of the nation to him. He sees this in the same way that Hosea would see Gomer as she was a, an unfaithful wife. Now, in the first chapter, we see he takes her out of prostitution and marries her. She has children. But as we go on, we're going to see that she commits adultery, even after she was rescued out of the prostitution and, you know, brought in and made the wife and had the children. Then she goes back to adultery. Chapter three tells us that. And that is where we have this, this picture of what, of what Israel does. So um, just... Here in the second chapter, I don't want to read the whole chapter, but I want to highlight a few things. So just look at verse 13 really quick. I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. So Baal was the regional god that was the god of fertility. And so the people of the land worshiped Baal And they believed that the land's productivity, agriculturally speaking, they believed that Baal was responsible for that. And because Baal and Asherah were fertility gods and goddesses, 
there was actually a sexual component that was part of the worship ceremony of Baal. So when the people engaged in Baal worship, which was their way of securing agricultural blessing, they did this through sexual acts, perverse sexual acts. They were performing on behalf of Baal to guarantee that they would have a fruitful harvest. So this is what the nations did, and this is what the Israelites embraced. And so they turned away from trusting God, who gave them the land, God who they would have understood if they remembered from their own scripture, God who made the world and everything in it, God who made the trees. And, you know, God was the one who said he's going to give them a land that's flowing with milk and honey and so forth. But they forsook the Lord and they followed after the nations and they worshiped Baal. So that's what he's talking about when he says, I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. Now, verse 14, therefore, I am now going to allure her and I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Then I will give her back vineyard. So we see again, it's almost like as soon as God pronounces the judgment on Israel, he immediately comes back and says, but I'm going to bless in the end. I mean, this is the kind of love that God has. And the further we go here, I mean, it's, we're just going to see how intense this is. And the, the analogy that God's using between a, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, God is the husband in this. And what you see is his unfailing love, despite the thanklessness and the infidelity and the disregard for his love, that it doesn't stop him from loving. And so as soon as the the judgment comes out of his mouth, he immediately turns around and says, "Um, I'm gonna lead her into the wilderness. I'm gonna speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back vineyards, I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. The word Achor means trouble. I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from your lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them the beast of the field, the birds of the air, the sky, the creatures that move along the ground, bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and in compassion. So the promise basically is God would take them back. And so... I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies. They will respond to the earth and the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine, the olive oil. They will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those 
called not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. Now think about this. This is 700 years before the time of Jesus. And of course, as we said, they would go into the Assyrian captivity and then Judah would go into the Babylonian captivity. Only Judah would return to the land after 70 years. The Northern Kingdom never really did return. There was no massive migration back to the land from the Northern Kingdom. They remained scattered throughout the nation. Some made their way back. And then you have them in the land during the Persian period, during the Greek period, during the Roman period. And during the Roman period, of course, that's when the Messiah comes and they reject the Messiah. And now for 2,000 years, the children of Israel have been separated from God. And that is crazy to think of. That's 2,700 years that they have been out of this covenantal relationship, which ended totally and finally at the rejection of Jesus. So these promises are the promises that God has made about their ultimate end. Now, there are many people today, and even Christians, who do not believe that there is a future for Israel. They, they believe that Jewish people can be saved and they believe that Jewish people will be part of the, of the you know, God's, in God's kingdom and, and all part of that. But the, the distinct national identity is forever gone. It's a thing of the past. But, you know, every time I, I hear people <laughs> say that, I just think, how can you possibly read these prophets and come to that conclusion. You, you have to just kind of ignore what they're saying because God is saying to them, I mean, you know, you're not my people, but in the future, I'm going to call you my people. He's talking to a specific group of people that he promises to call them once again his people. Now, in a minute, we'll see this is even more clarified. So look at, Chapter three, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her. This is Hosea. I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. Now, here's the parallel. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord 
and to his blessings in the last days. So look at what this is saying. The Israelites will live many days without a king or a prince. So we saw, right at the end of Jeremiah, we saw how they went into captivity. And there has not been a king sitting on the throne of David since then. No king has sat on the throne of David since then. So many days without a king. Yes, many, many, many days without a king. But then many days without a sacrifice. Now, the sacrifice ended with the destruction of the temple by Nebuchadnezzar. But remember, the people returned to the land, rebuilt the temple, and resumed the sacrifices. And so the sacrifices continued, but then they also ended with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD by the Romans. So the Israelites will go many days without a sacrifice. And so how many days? Well, 2,000 years so far they've gone without a sacrifice. But notice also sacred stones, an ephod, and household gods. So this is interesting because the sacred stones, the ephod probably, although the ephod was connected to the worship of the priests, but in this case, it's probably a reference to worshiping false gods, but then it has a reference to idols. So not only will they not have a king, not only will they not have a sacrificial system, but they will not engage in idolatry either. In the, in the sense that they did prior to their captivity. So this is one of the things. When the, when the children of Israel came back from the Babylonian captivity, although they still had many issues and problems, they did not worship idols like they had done previously. And even to this day among the Jews, of course, there's an abhorrence of idols. So this is the state of Israel Many, many days, centuries, millennia, without a king, a prince, a sacrifice, and without the household gods. So that will be how they will remain. But afterward, the Israelites will return to seek the Lord their God. And here's the key, David their king. So David their king here is not David. David's long dead and gone. David, their king here, is a reference to the Messiah. So we would understand this to be Jesus. They will then, after many days, seek the Lord their God and Jesus, their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessing in the last days. So, and of course, Jesus said this. He said to them, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he indicates you're going to see me again, but not until. And then you think of when the, when the Lord was about to ascend into heaven and the disciples were with him and they said, Lord, you see, they understood that the kingdom would be restored to Israel. That's what they thought was going to happen. And so they said to Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, It's not for you to know the times of the seasons that the Father has put in his own authority, 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So Jesus doesn't say, oh no, guys, that's not gonna happen. You got it wrong. There is no restoration of the kingdom to Israel. He just simply says, now's not the time. That's in God's hands. Now's the time for you to go and preach the gospel to all of the nations. So they will seek David, their king. So really there is no solution to the problem. The solution is Jesus. And at this present time, Israel is still in that place of not my people, and they are happily not his people because they are very much rejecting the Messiah still to this very day. Somebody was telling me the other day there are 250,000 Jewish believers in Jesus the Messiah that want to make what's called Aliyah. They, they have a right to Israeli citizenship because they're Jewish. They want to move to Israel. The government absolutely will not let them in because they believe in Jesus. If they were 250,000 Jewish Buddhists or Jewish Hindus or Jewish atheists or whatever else you want to tag onto it, they'd roll out the carpet for them. But because they're believers in Jesus, they are unwelcome. So that's the condition still to this very day. So chapter four. And now from, from chapter four, I want to I go through seven, but I'm just going to touch on some verses. I'm not going to read all of the verses. If you want to read through them all on your own, that will be great. But I just want to touch on some of the things that are said here. So the, the fourth chapter is, again, the charge against Israel. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has charged to bring against you Why? Because there is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. You know, it's hard to, I mean, think about this. I mean, we look at our own nation and we, we could say similar things. I mean, obviously there are lots of believers in the country still, thank God for that, lots of churches and so forth. But we know that the you know, when it comes to politics and when it comes to the, the system of the world, we know there's, there's no place for God in any of that, in our nation at all, really. No faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land, for the most part, apart from, apart from the church. And we think about that, and I think we all think, gosh, how crazy is that? But think about it as crazy as it is in the United States of America, think about how crazy it was in Israel. I mean, these people, we, we have theories. We have theories about the existence of our nation, how it came into existence. A lot of people, you know, the providence of God brought America into being so it could be a light, a city on a hill. You know, there's all of these kinds of theories. They might be right. They might not be right about the founding of the country. But, and whether they're right or not, we, we're baffled to think, how could the country be so far removed from God? Well, this country here was literally established by God, handpicked, pulled out of Egypt, brought through the Red Sea, and miraculously established in the land, and they have no faith in God. So my point is simply this, why are we shocked that things are the way they are in the nation that we live in? 
If the very people of God could come to a place where they had no love, no acknowledgement, no desire to follow God, then why would we think that it would be any different with us? I mean, it's just, it's human nature to turn against the Lord. It's human nature to pursue our own will and to shun the will of God. Now, here's a passage that I think many will remember. It's one of the oft-quoted passages from Hosea. Look at verse six. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. How many have heard that passage before? It's a common one. And of course, it's spoken, this is the context, it's spoken to the nation. But it, it, in principle, it's true for everyone, not just for Israel. People are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Not knowledge in general, but of course, the reference here is knowledge of God. It's astounding to me where people go when they reject God, personally and collectively. You know, as, as we see a collective rejection of God in the culture, and, and look at where things are going. And the direction is really, in the end, if it's not stopped in some way, it will end in destruction. Because when we refuse the knowledge of God, when we refuse to listen to God, when we refuse to take his commands seriously, then inevitably it will be our demise. It will bring anyone down. That's, that's, where, that's only where it can lead. And so he goes on, because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. So again, see, the knowledge is specific. It's the knowledge of God The priests were the ones who were responsible to teach the people the knowledge of God. And so because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest. And this is something that has always been a reality that even within the people of God, you have those in positions of leadership who actually reject God and lead people in the rejection of God. But I mean, here's, here's, it's just exactly this thing. The priests, the leaders, sadly, are oftentimes the ones who are compromising and then leading the rest of God's people astray. And so everyone is going to end up being destroyed because of the lack of knowledge, but it starts often at the top. It's, it's, it's that, and it happens over and over again. Uh, verse 17 is an interesting one here in chapter 4. Ephraim is joined to his idols. Leave them alone. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. Hi, Pastor Brian here, and it is almost Christmas. And of course, this is a time of year when everybody is aware of this holiday. They're hearing Christmas music as they're out shopping. And yet not everyone knows what Christmas is truly all about. So we have 
a great offer for you for this month. It's a small book, and it's entitled, Is Christmas Unbelievable? It's written by Rebecca McLaughlin, who is an excellent writer and has so many good things to say here. Really a great little book to give to a friend, a neighbor, a family member at this time of the year. So I would encourage you to pick up your copy of Is Christmas Unbelievable by Rebecca McLaughlin. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, Is Christmas Unbelievable? Four Questions Everyone Should Ask About the World's Most Famous Story by Rebecca McLaughlin. You can order the book, It's Christmas Unbelievable, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, Is Christmas Unbelievable? Four questions everyone should ask about the world's most famous story by Rebecca McLaughlin to help equip you to defend the faith. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hosea. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.